Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Day four of the 2022 FIFA World Cup was an absolute peach. We saw Germany get absolutely goosed by Japan. Here's another shock in this World Cup occurred. We had a stunning display from a sensational Spain. A goal of stalemate between Morocco and Croatia. Perhaps one of the worst games in the World Cup so far. And we capped it all off with a great Canada display, but... Ultimately, they're left with nothing. We've got it all and so much more in this podcast. Let's get stuck in. And it is not just the World Cup Daily podcast that we bring to your eyes and ears over the course of this tournament. We're over there on Patreon every 6am with the continuation of the Great Games series looking at iconic World Cup fixtures. Similarly, on the YouTube page, we have got Football Manager Challengers. We have also got Shorts and Combined Elevens predictors on that platform as well as our bread and butter alternate football universes but let's start well we could only start in one place couldn't we another day of world cup action another seismic shock with a a team from the afc confederation another asian team picking off one of the contenders to uh, win this thing And it started with Germany, another team a bit like France, suffering from injuries. We have seen Timo Werner um, laid off through injury. Leroy Sané, unfortunately, his World Cup story continues to be laden with injuries. He missed the 2018 tournament. He missed the action in uh, the Khalifa International Stadium against Japan. And therefore, Jamal Musiala was on the left-hand side. And I felt as though him playing narrow with David Raum, free to maraud down that left-hand side, I think it suited Germany a lot more, really. And Maluk Musiala did look bright on occasion in the uh, later first-half stages and throughout the second half as well. That meant Nicolas Sula took the more defensive right-back role. It was um, asymmetrical, the German defence, as was to be expected, considering how Hansi Flick sets up his teams. It's very much the same as the Bayern Munich treble winners, where then it was Benjamin Pavard playing right back, tucking into centre-half, Nicolas Sula, also part of that Bayern team, now at Borussia Dortmund, um, he was performing the role 
admirably. He noticed, noticeably tucked in and, uh, well, performed the role admirably until the end. We'll come to it much later on, of course. In a straight shootout for the other central midfield position, Ilkay Gundian edged out Leon Goretzka and you also had Thomas Muller and Serge Gnabry, that club connection, um, oscillating between right wing and the number 10 role and worked to somewhat decent effect. Meanwhile, you had Japan and Daichi Kamada beating Takumi Minamino to the number 10 role. Meanwhile, Asano of uh, Bochum of the Bundesliga, of course, was left out of the squad for Dyson Maeda with Tom, Takahiro Tomiyasu also on the bench. Japan started the game off very lively in the press. They were 4-4-2 off the ball and 4-2-3-1 on it. They counted incredibly and with numbers as well. Very, very energetic. And it was a bit of a warning sign for the national manshaft with uh, Dyson Maeda's disallowed goal. One hell of a warning sign that it took Germany a while to to match the intensity of the uh, the blue samurai, the Japanese. But they would have, as the first half rolled on, they'd have better chances. You had long-range strikes from Joshua Kimmich, from Ilkay Gundian, header from Rudiger from a corner, which just snuck wide, just snuck wide. Um, and when they were up, more openings in the Japanese defence, though, they, they would defend their goal with their lives. And it was only until David Brown gained a little bit more influence midway through the first half in the uh, on the left-hand side there that he was able to win a penalty rather clumsily by the Japanese goalkeeper. I felt that at least in the first half, he looked a little bit twitchy and um, he lost. He conceded um, a penalty for his team and Ilkay Gundian stepped up, calmly stroked the ball in. Very similar to how Lionel Messi in Argentina got off to a uh, somewhat of a good start the previous day against Saudi Arabia. And Japan, they were also, whilst fairly energetic in the press, they were also happy to sit off. They would punish any German dawdling on the ball, which was surprisingly semi-regular. Nico Schlotterbeck, David Raum, lost possession quite a number of times in their own half and in the middle third of the pitch. Um, to be fair, with David Raum's marauding, uh, it's no coincidence, really, that Japanese attacks mainly came down the right-hand side through Junya Ito. And uh, regardless, on the other side, Jamal Musiala starting to grow into the game by the end of the first half. Germany were coming a lot more intricate. They controlled a lot more of the uh, of the game after the first goal, which came roughly around 10 minutes before, before the halftime break. They did have a second goal disallowed, which... Took a surprisingly long amount of time for the semi-automated offsides to figure out that Kai Havertz was offside when it, all it needed was one glance, merely. And um, Japan still had those warning signs. Dyson Maeda had a chance, um, just a glancing header just wide, and uh, that curtailed the first half. And in the second half, attacking the same side, Germany had chance after chance, really, without threatening too much, if that makes any sense. Uh, Gonda was forced into four quick-fire saves. You had Serge Gnabry and Ilkay Gundy and both hitting the woodwork in the first 15 minutes of the second half. And really, the, the credit for this win for Japan goes down to Moriyasu, the manager. They changed shape at half-time, bringing Tomiyasu on for, uh, for Kubo and moved into a 5-3-2. Junya Ito moved inside as part of the front two. And whilst it did leave Japan a bit more open, they were incredibly um, reticent to drop back into a five. They needed to push on. And whilst, yes, they did cede quite a lot of ground, quite a lot of control and territory as well, it was a risk worth taking from a uh, Japanese perspective, certainly. And with fresh legs, mainly in uh, Bokum's Asana, who came on, and uh, Junya Ito was incredible throughout, really. He forced Manuel Neuer into the save of the game, really. And from the last 30 minutes, Japan were the better team. As soon as Gundian hit the uh, post, he came off for Goretzka. Germany were a bit lacking, and um, Japan, they soon grew. They were quick on the transition, as you would expect, and um, they did continue to tinker. At one point, they had uh, Mitoma and Junya Ito, two very, very attack-minded players playing wing-backs in this 5-3-2 uh, with the likes of Minamino on and Sano as well, and um, Kamada was still in the midfield three as well, so it was an incredibly uh, offensive uh, shape that that Japan were were using and and it worked let's be fair instantly as soon as Minamino come on the the subs combine 
Minamino has a chance saved and it rebounded to another substitute in uh, Ritsu Doan and a calm finish into what was largely an open net for 1-1 and that was celebratory enough. And uh, with that duopoly of Mitoma and Ito running the wings... It was merely just a long punt upfield which caught Germany off guard with six minutes to play. Osano springs the offside trap, it seems, and um, wrestles with Nico Schlotterbeck, manages to clip the ball ahead of Manuel Neuer, and it finds the top corner of the net. And Japan, just as uh, South Korea had done four years prior in Germany's previous World Cup game, have stunned perhaps the biggest giant of the lots in European international football. And it turned out from the replay, Nicolas Sula was inexplicably playing him on the side. It was schoolboy defending is the cliche really that we're after here. Um, really, the game was Germany's to kill. They had so many chances in that second half. Jamal Musiala coming off that left-hand side, he could have had two goals quite easily. He had a Ricky Vier-esque chance that he blazed over, unfortunately for him. And really, two strikes of the woodwork. They should have had this game well out of sight before the uh, before the substitutes were given chance to take effect. And really, the praise, yes, comes down to the substitutes, comes down to the tactics, the incessant pressing by the Japanese, which was there throughout, which was there throughout. And um, you've got to say that in German failure to find that second goal, to kill the game off, and really, if this had been 2-0, 3-0, it would have been a performance that still, it wouldn't be enough to match that of France or England of previous games in this tournament. It wouldn't be enough to install Germany as some kind of favourite or frontrunners, but another couple of performances like that, especially against Spain and even Costa Rica to coming into the knockout stage, would have had... People whispering maybe about uh, Germany equaling Brazil's record of five World Cups. But now, now things are really on the back foot for Hansi Flick. It looked as though with Euro 2024 coming up that this could be some kind of sandbox for a young German team and uh, manager who's back into the system, but still fairly new into his uh, into his role with the uh, with the German national side. Next is Spain, which... They don't. They, that game was crucial anyway in terms of determining first and second, as we thought, um, as we previewed yesterday. The clearest one-two in the draw, I said. Um, it hasn't turned out, has not turned out to be that way, has it? So next for Japan, scintillating, tantalising. Costa Rica are next and a win there. And they could be through. They could quite easily be through if, if Germany don't find their feet against Spain. They're going to have to very, very quickly. And and with Spain to come in the third game, a team that probably are more possession-heavy than Germany, what's to say that Japan can't trouble Spain and this record that bouncing between group stages and last 16 and group stage and that oscillating pattern that's been there since Japan first turned up at the World Cup in 1998, that could be broken with a second knockout stage appearance. And on the basis of this performance... We've been paired against Group F, which seems to be seems to have no real standout team, it feels. Why can't Japan break their all-time World Cup record, reach a quarterfinal? It's very much, very much up in the air. After this short break, we'll tackle Group E's second game when Spain met Costa Rica in the third kickoff of day four. Stick around with us. Welcome back. And the next game, well, the next game was just a joke, wasn't it? Let's be fair. Spain 7, Costa Rica 0. And in the build-up, Spain's 11 was fairly surprising. Rodri was in at centre-half, meaning it was only the second time that he and Sergio Busquets, often rival for that number six role, Played it with one another. Marco Asensio was deployed at the false nine position with Alvaro Morata, potentially out with flu, although did come on to uh, get himself on the score sheet. But then again, didn't everybody in a Spanish shirt? Brian Ruiz missed out for Costa Rica, but did make the field of play. But some household names, I suppose you would say, some names from the illustrious 2014 
campaign for Costa Rica, where they were dealt a similarly difficult group. Brian Oviedo, you've got uh, Joel Campbell there, you've got Celso Borges, Oscar Duarte, Keylor Navas, of course. So Costa Rica had a, enough about them in the eleven to suggest this could be maybe a little bit of a banana peel. Presume that Spain and Costa Rica had both witnessed or at least heard of what had happened earlier on in the day when Japan stunned Germany, but this was nothing of the sort. They did have one player who was um, at least contributing to uh, making the game at least one bit interesting, but uh, not so much in Jewish and Bennett of uh, Sunderland. He started at left wing in what was a 4-4-1-1 for Costa Rica with uh, Anthony Contreras up top. So some of the younger names for Costa Rica getting a run out, but... the. They were absolutely battered. Um, Costa Rica would go to a back five, roughly 35 minutes in. The damage was already done then. The game was already over. It was 3-0. And um, Spain monotonously passed the ball around, picked the spots, and wound up with one of the greatest wins in terms of big scoreline in World Cup history. Um, well, the wide men were wide in Danny Olmo and Ferran Torres. They were cut in, of course. And an early um, an early ploy by Spain was to use long diagonals, similar to what um, Xavi and Barcelona do at times, a bit more direct at times to uh, mix things up. But really, when they realised that Costa Rica weren't heeding the warning signs of Marco Asensio screen one wide, Danny Olmo's side-footed volley passing by the post, then they just played like Spain do. And um, intricate central play was at the heart of the first goal, a lovely little assist from Gavi, um, lovely little chip for Danny Olmo, who clipped the ball similarly over Navas for the first goal in the 11th minute. Pedri was at his metronomic phenomenal best, as you might expect. And for the second goal, the build-up was once more monotonous. Quick play by Spain initially in the build-up, finds uh, Marco Asensio from Jordi Alba on the left-hand side, peels off the defender, uh, somewhat of a tame shot, which Keylor Navas probably would have saved four, eight years ago, but uh, not today. And uh, 21 minutes in, 2-0, and from then on in, the pattern of the game was drilled in early on. Um, what Spain needed to do was avoid the... Uh, the pitfalls that Germany and Argentina had fallen into of prior days. Go 1-0 up, keep that 1-0 lead at halftime and then not return to the field of play for the second half with the same energy, which is essentially what both Germany and Argentina did. And with that second goal, it really drilled Costa Rica down, back into their own half as, as if they weren't already. And uh, the game never really deviated. It really made for a poor spectacle outside of wondering whether or not Spain could reach double figures. And by the end, it was actually getting to that point. Um, and at one point, you just have to... You sit down, you marvel at Spain, you obviously take into account the level of the opposition here and you ponder whether or not this team can win a second World Cup as Fran Torres converts a penalty for 3-0. He scores a scarily simple fourth one. Gavi's special goal for the fifth was probably the pick of the bunch. Carlos Soler was fairly comfortable with his sixth. And Alvaro Morata, lovely, got his goal on the turn with his uh, with the seventh of the evening. Uh, biggest win in the World Cup outside of Germany versus Saudi Arabia in the 21st century. First time since two teams of... Scored six goals in different games um, since 1986. Um, Denmark and Soviet Union did it then, England and Spain. Here, in terms of Costa Rica, they were more than happy to sit off Spain. Low block, but they weren't intense in that low block, and it made for pretty depressing watching in the first half. Once you'd settled in and realised they weren't going to do anything special, they weren't going to dream up a defensive scheme like a high line or provide any kind of grit like the likes of Saudi Arabia and Australia had done for certain extents in certain games, certain periods of games. They didn't even attempt to press like Japan. There was only one really, and that was Bennett, who would come out of the 4-4-1-1 shape, which looked very rigid with two right backs on the right-hand side offering absolutely nothing going forward. Nobody in a Costa Rica shirt did. And really, this was the first game where a team failed to manage a single shot on goal. 
um, since Costa Rica in 1990 against Brazil. Then, though, they qualified. It's going to be uh, very difficult to see how they will qualify here. Um, Luis Fernando Suarez, the experienced manager who's been to two World Cups, took Ecuador to the 2006 knockout phases. Looks an absolute shell here. Costa Rica, nothing like even the team from four years ago who uh, were put out quite meekly as well. And play like that against Japan, uh, it's curtains for Costa Rica. Um, for Spain, a win against Germany, and they'll probably be in the last 16 as comfortably as ever. And in terms of Spain's position among the front runners on results, well, they've got the best result on paper um, out of the three front runners that we've seen or had seen up until the time they won. That was England and France. Um, all three, though, you've got to say they faced absolute dross in Iran, Costa Rica and Australia. What I would say that um, depressed me watching this more than anything at all is Costa Rica put up zero fight. In a World Cup, when you've got young names as well as experienced heads, it should be a good blend. Costa Rica, renowned for being a, a direct counter-attacking team. There was absolutely nothing, very little in the final third. Unai Simon, I think, must have had about four touches of the ball all game in open play. Um and really, Australia put up a fight. They went 1-0 up. They at least showed something defensively before being torn apart by actual incisive moves. Um, Iran, they were probably a bit weaker than Australia, you've got to say. Um, but at least they, they applied some pressure towards the end of the game and found the net at least. Costa Rica delivered absolutely nothing to this World Cup. Um, play like that again, they will go out delivering nothing to this World Cup. It's probably the worst performance I can remember in a World Cup. Maybe Brazil 7-1 against Germany in 2014, but that had its own extenuating circumstances. The pressure of being in front of your home fans, the semi-final, two big names missing um, and everything that comes with that. For this, this was a free shot for Costa Rica. And now with the goal difference being what it is, they now have to get four points um, to be in with a, a slightest of glimpses. They, did, they do need to win two games now against Japan and Germany, which just isn't possible. Otherwise, they're going to have to count on other teams getting absolutely mauled by Spain, um, which could be likely, not really as likely. Um, I'll hope that Germany and Japan do something similar, uh, which it doesn't look likely on the... Uh, on the standard of today's of today's play, uh, yeah, it's very disappointing from Costa Rica because this could have been a very entertaining, very like, could be like Group F, all congealed into one. These four teams, but instead, we've got yeah, a bit of a shock: Germany and Japan, which was exciting and it really opened up this group or appeared to. And then you've got Spain, seven nil against Costa Rica, and uh, that's over for Costa Rica now. The World Cup, it appears, no team really bounces back from a, a defeat like that to do anything in a World Cup. Um, these won't, certainly based off that performance. Japan had far more intensity than they did. Germany, you'd expect at least some kind of quality would shine through, even if they're not on their best day in the final game. And really, Sunday, Costa Rica will be... Uh, pretty much heading home after de defeat against Japan, um, really. Um, in terms of Spain, yes, they probably did face the worst team at the tournament so far. Um, but it's not how you start the World Cup, it's how you finish it. They only scored one less than what they did when they won the World Cup in 2010. That's uh, a neat little statistic for, for you to use, um, whether it's pertinent or not is another guess. Um, but like with England, like with France, now is not the time to judge Spain. Just judge them when we uh, get to true opposition. And you may find that teams like Argentina, who were incredibly sloppy, Netherlands even, who did win but weren't at the best, may grow into this tournament. Um, and this could well be Spain's peak. This will, They won't find a, an easier challenge than this. Japan will, will test them. Even Germany, even if they're not at their best, will test them as well. So we don't really know much more about Spain other than the uh, shed the goals out a, a, a fair amount. It will give them a lot of confidence and rightly so. Um, I mean, 7-0, it's hard to uh, 
criticise a team for doing that, is it really? They are top of the group, probably will remain that way. Given a positive result against Germany, they'll be through, won't they, if they beat Germany? Because you'd you'd tend to think that Japan will beat Costa Rica. And just like that, Sunday, the group's all over, done and dusted, <laughs> which um, is not really what you'd expect from this group. When I mentioned it, we'll have a clear one-two. And I expected maybe a result of... Uh, certainly a win for Spain here, but of lesser magnitude. I expected a team in a World Cup to at least put up some semblance of a fight. But it was um, demoralising, let's say, for the viewer who's watching four games in a row to go and pick yourself up off the canvas to choose the channel two, two down from ITV to flick on BBC and go again for Belgium versus Canada, where merely the... Um, the intrigue around Canada returning for the first time since 1986 and a little bit of uh, curiosity about what Belgium could possibly bring. Those were the only things pushing me on in day four after a performance really by Costa Rica that that depressed me more so than it, it wowed me from Spain, if I'm being uh, totally honest. I'm probably being fairly morbid. So without further ado, let us move on. Let's move on to Group F. And first, Belgium versus Canada. Stick around. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one, with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome back. Let us trot over, over there to Group F. And we ended today's football bonanza with another potential shock on the cards as Belgium met Canada in the game's final day, in the day's final game. It has been a long day, really. In terms of Belgium, there was a couple of shocks to be had in the lineup. Eden Hazard was there, whilst Romelu Lukaku, as expected, didn't make it. We had a wing-back partnership of Timothy Castagna and Yannick Carrasco. Thomas Mounier still recovering from that fractured cheekbone, although Roberto Martinez did get a half out of him. Leander Dendonka was back in a back three. Meanwhile, Canada aped this back three system, adopting the 3-4-3 with Alfonso Davis, their star man, as a left wing back. Meanwhile, everything else was very much to be expected, and Alfonso Davis, we all know him well and love him as the left back for Bayern Munich in a all-domineering Bayern Munich team. Here, he does have to cover a little bit, although certainly as a left wing back, he was a little bit more aggressive in his positioning than his uh, counterpart on the right-hand side was for Canada. He did need Miller to sweep around from left centre-back and cover in this press for the uh, for the first half's plan to work, which really worked an absolute dream. And it did help that the, the centre-half Miller there wasn't shy about last-ditch defending. He wasn't shy about pressing with the team as Belgium, for one reason or another, they always look to build up down the right-hand side, even though... They always had the same three, four, five men at times pressing them to within an inch of their life, and it and it didn't really work all that much, certainly not in the first half. 
it wasn't a case of Canada being left side dominated as as uh, Richie Larrier was utilised a right wing quite a lot as well. They would, as a team, press in a 3-4-3 and when they almost certainly received the ball from a wayward Belgian pass or just lax play from their opponents, all but the defensive three and Atiba Hutchinson would flood forward and as you'd expect from a team who were playing in their first World Cup since 1986, they started off very brightly. Uh, won, a, won a penalty inside nine minutes, of course, uh, capping off a fine start to the game. Fortunately, Alfonso Davies couldn't become the man to score Canada's first World Cup goal. Unfortunately, a poor penalty was equaled by Thibaut Courtois. Canada now, with four games in their World Cup history, they have failed to score a single goal failed to earn a single point, although this was, you've got to say, up there with a 1-0 defeat against France in 86 to open up that World Cup um, as their greatest result. And this probably their best performance as most people, if you sat them down, showed them the 90 minutes, would say no chance in hell did they deserve to lose this game. I didn't want to sort of over-egg them pre-tournaments and do what many seem to do kind of late on in the day for Euro 2021 and demand that Turkey get to the semi-finals. By no means, I don't think Canada will be able to do that. Um, I think if they are to get out of the groups, it'll be a last 16 finish at an absolute push, depending, of course, on what happens in Group E. See uh, Germany 1, Japan 2, um, for what I mean on that one. Um, but for the first half, the first, well, to be fair, all 90 minutes, Canada were the better team. First 15 minutes, they had eight shots on goal against the second best team, allegedly, in the world. Um, and a penalty going in away from perfection. And really, they thoroughly, thoroughly spooked what was an aging Belgian defence. Belgium just simply could not get out. They had two shots, two or three shots on target in the entire game. One shot in the first quarter of the game due to a defensive error, Alistair Johnston there, unfortunately, passing to Batshuayi, the uh, replacement for Lukaku. But ultimately, that was a pot shot from 30 yards, which didn't trouble um, Belgium, uh, Canada whatsoever. And then the next shot was blocked by Miller from Batshuayi again. And then the third one was Batshuayi ending up on the end of a long pass, a long raking pass, a switch off, a lapsing con Canadian concentration to allow Batshuayi to ghost in, barely in the game. The striker was Kevin De Bruyne was pretty uh, lax with his passing as well. And one long ball, one finish, that killed the game, really. And that was the game, essentially. And for Belgium, they were incredibly poor on the ball, incredibly poor in transition, incredibly poor in their um, passing opportunities. Kevin De Bruyne was key for Belgium on the transition, but very rarely chose, or when he did choose the correct pass, he uh, unfortunately wasn't able to carry it out to perfection, as, as is usually the case with the Manchester City player. And in the end, it was that um, lapsing concentration, the mistake, the... Uh, and then in the second half, the, the fact that youth was brought on for Belgium in the form of Amadou Onana, I thought was excellent when he came on for Belgium. That was the way that Belgium won this game. And the first half for me was a clear, as clear a case study as you could possibly get for integration in terms of youth players at international level. Now, of course, you can't have it full youth. You uh, wouldn't get too far in terms of experience there and you wouldn't get too far in terms of... Uh, progressing through the tournament. But the likes of Face, uh, Theate, Debast, Doku, De Ketale, Onana, who were all sat, made to sit and watch that first half display, all under the age of 24, whilst this 11 just creaked in front of them like an old wooden cabinet. You'd be, infuri you'd be infuriated, really, wouldn't you? And ultimately, like, it always was going to be after that intense first 45 minutes, Canada's legs did go a little bit, but in my opinion, they remained the better team. The only thing that let them down, as is often the case with these types of teams, the final third, the uh, missed chances, I think they had about 25 shots maybe, and uh, three or four of them on target, so not the best conversion rate. They were a little bit too chaotic, a little bit snatchy in the final third, but a lot of players really showed their best side. I thought Kyle Larin was good when he came on. Tejon Buchanan was probably 
Canada's best player. And Alfonso Davis was absolutely magic, of course, when he came on. I and mean, that goes without saying the uh, the defenders were incredible. Um, you've got Hutchinson there, who was 39 years old, becoming the oldest, uh, second oldest outfield player behind Roger Miller, which uh, in World Cup history, which is fantastic, really. And um, for Canada, an exciting start. And in theory, now they've got their toughest group opponent out of the way. And the key now is to maintain this identity through the next match, through the third match, and hopefully get a fourth match out of it. I've got no doubts that uh, against like some Morocco and Croatia, you'll see Alfonso Davis starting a little bit higher up, maybe as a maybe as a number ten, maybe as a left winger. They may change system. John Herdman does do that from game to game, dependent on opponent. And Adakube may play left wing back. Um, he looked pretty solid when he came on. So did Osario. There may be some changes in there, in and amongst against the likes of Morocco and Croatia. And on the face of it as we'll uh, see later on when we cover the Morocco and Croatia game. There's no reason why, perhaps maybe experience against the likes of Croatia, um, that Canada can't get out of this group. Maybe, I mean, why can't they get a point out of Croatia if they can get one out of, um, if they can nearly get one out of Belgium? Although they are still in a band of countries to lose every World Cup game and not score, they're in a pool still rather unfairly, really, with the likes of... China with Indonesia, with Democratic Republic of Congo, and obviously Qatar as well, but they've only had one match. Um, and to give you an inclination of how long ago those sorts of teams were in the World Cup, Indonesia wasn't called Indonesia, it was called Dutch East Indies, and it was in the 30s. Democratic Republic of Congo were Zaire in the 1974 World Cup. And the other side of the coin for Belgium, points on the board is the main thing. By no means was it a good performance. You can probably stick this alongside the Netherlands against Senegal. But for as unimaginative as the Dutch were, they were at least somewhat solid defensively. Here, Belgium looked like one little breeze would blow their entire defence down. And when they meet, maybe Morocco, maybe a, a Croatian attack might grow out of something who knows we'll talk about how blunt they were um in a minute um but it could be another case of another three wins in another three group games for belgium as was the case four years ago as was the case eight years ago as well but certainly they did not deserve um the three points here but belgium won't care that's what that's a one nil win teams have started off way worse and got so far into this tournament gone all the way in fact um, maybe it's going to be a, maybe it won't be a tactical change because Roberto Martinez is too set in his ways, but maybe a personnel change might have to be in the offing for Belgium to win this trophy. They're still amongst the contenders, as dark as they could be, dark horses wise, but they've not fallen to a shock as Argentina have, Germany have, and um, there's plenty of uh, plenty of time to uh, steer the ship around and plenty of youngsters to help Roberto Martinez probably end his reign as Belgium manager here. In the other Group F game, well, we kicked all the day's action off between Morocco and Croatia, and that game we'll be covering after this short break. Welcome back. You may remember that we started things off yesterday on day four of the World Cup with... The third nil-nil draw of the tournament thus far when Morocco met Croatia at the Al Bayt Stadium. And really, in terms of the lineups, nothing too much of a surprise. You had the fullbacks of Morocco, the front three as expected, Sofian Amrabat as well, the linchpin in midfield. Meanwhile, Roman Saiz and um, Aguirre made it a centre-half. Meanwhile, for Croatia, Diane Lovren beats uh, Josip Sulato, Sutalo rather, for uh, the centre-back berth alongside uh, Josko Vadiol. Meanwhile, Andrei Kramaric led the line with Nikola Vlasic at right wing. Both teams essentially lining up in a 4-3-3, although Morocco's was probably more of a 4-1-4-1 with Amrabat Certainly sitting deeper, um, almost playing a Brozovic role, although for Croatia, Brozovic and Modric were side by side for the most part of the game. And um, Croatia sat a little bit narrower thanks to um, the likes of Vlasic. And when when Mario Pasalic came on, both 
equally as uh, as narrow on the right there. In Croatia, you've got to say, they were very patient in the build-up, as we'd seen, really. It smacked of a performance like from Denmark the prior day, and the result was the same. An inability to break down a North African team um, with vociferous home support, um, as it may as well have been. And unfortunately, Morocco, like Tunisia, couldn't capitalise on it. Uh, Croatia lacked a lot of bite up front, and this is an issue really that has really followed Croatia since the 2018 World Cup, since the retirement of uh, Mario Mandzukic. Andre Kramaric, for me, is probably better suited as a number 10, which doesn't exist in this system. And would he get ahead of Modric and Kovacic? Unlikely, very unlikely. Or to play him from the flank. He is, um, he's been very consistent for Hoffenheim as a goal scorer. He's their greatest goal scorer after all. Um, but unfortunately for the national team, he just doesn't quite click. Um, they do have... A lot of players, Croatia, along similar lines, Vlasic, Pasalic, Mislav um, Osic as well came on for the last minute or so. And um, unfortunately, very, very blunt. They did grow dangerous at the end of the first half, probably had the f the best chance of the game towards the end of the first half. But that was, that was it really. Very rarely threatened in the second half, despite dictating a lot of the play with the possession. Uh, meanwhile, for Morocco, it was all about, like Tunisia, countering and being dangerous on that counter. Um, they do have a lot um, better players, a lot more reputable players than Tunisia. The danger is obvious, really, with Hakim Ziyech, an inside forward on the right, and Ashraf Hakimi, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, right-backs in the world at the minute, overlapping. Um, it was a highly transitional game, mainly on uh, Morocco's part. The, the Towards the middle of the uh, first half, it was very end-to-end, uh, -end, so two parts of the early part of the second half, too. Um, really, it, did, it felt like it was going to be a game defined by one moment of quality. That moment never arrived in the 90 minutes, unfortunately. And that transitional play really did help with some scratchy passing in build-up from Morocco in the first half and Croatia in the second half, which really led me to believe that it was something about that half of the pitch that uh, was stopping both teams building up from the back as it was. Um, really, the Moroccan press was good. They were very, very well organised. You'd expect Croatia to be so as well, and uh, and they were. The midfield, as imperious as ever, just um, unable to uh, be creative and imaginative in that final third, in the final ball, really. Sophie and Amrabat, probably one of the players of the match, you've got to say. Brilliant at hoovering up and um, controlling his midfield, dictating where they would go. And um, Abu Falafot on the left-hand side did track back well. Um, it's just a shame that Nusam Rawi went off on the left-hand side for uh, Morocco. He did create their best chance, a header at the far post, which Livakovic just about dealt with. And um, unfortunately for Croatia, it's a, a winless start to the uh, to the World Cup and for Morocco, they didn't succumb as they did against Iran four years prior when they conceded an own goal in the 95th minute. They just about held on, so they won't be eliminated after the second match day. And next for them is the almighty task of Belgium. But you would expect if they can keep Croatia at bay with all the, the litany of great players they have from Perisic to Modric, etc., then you may well have thought they can keep Belgium at bay as well. And next for us, well, it's the previews. We are wrapping up the first match day of this 2022 World Cup with, of course, Groups G and H tomorrow. And it sees the introduction of three very heavy hitters in Brazil, Portugal and Uruguay. Stick around after this short break where we will preview all four matches. <laughs> Welcome back. So the fifth day of the World Cup will end the group phase match day one and we see the likes of Brazil, Uruguay and Portugal all belatedly start their campaigns and in group G, housed in group G, 
we find the favourites Brazil and notoriously, perpetually favourites Brazil are, given their history, given their reputation, and obviously the conveyor belt of talent that they bring through. And uh, many pooling them alongside the likes of Argentina, who lost, and uh, Denmark, and uh, not rather Denmark, France from Group D is the team I was searching for there, and England as the four teams that could potentially win it. Um, and out of those four, Brazil, you'd probably expect are given that high ranking, that pedestal of being the favourites for this World Cup based on the fact that they have one of the strongest front lines and in depth as well. Um, and they meet Serbia to begin Group G. Make no mistake, for Brazil, yes, they are favourites. When was the last time they failed to get out of the group? I'm pretty sure it was 1966. Um, so they should qualify. But make no mistake, this is a hard group to get out of. Serbia and Switzerland, very, very, very difficult opponents. You would expect Switzerland are a bit more expansive under Murat Yakin. They're not the... Uh, Three at the back, highly organised and defensively stoic team as they were under their predecessor, Vladimir Petkovic. They will be a bit more expansive, you would expect. Meanwhile, Serbia, it's about time they fulfilled their potential with the, the long, illustrious names in, in, the, in, their, in their squad. They will play a highly structured three at the back system. You've got Mitrovic and Tadic's partnership may cause problems for... Uh, Brazil, it remains to be seen whether Thiago Silva will make the squad despite his advancing age and despite not really playing as part of a back four all too much with Chelsea since he joined uh, the club and joined the Premier League. He could um, teach a move for a uh, Marquinhos and Thiago and uh, Ede Militao defensive partnership. So it's all up in the air in terms of the back line. Danilo, you would expect play right back. And the rest of the team, maybe outside of going for a double pivot with Casemiro and Fred or going for a more a more wildly attacking lineup with just Casemiro as a single pivot those are the options really uh, for the Brazilian manager but they will be they will be favorites but Serbia they will cause problems four years ago with uh, a less experienced team um and eight years away from the World Cup stage they kind of floundered to a 2-0 defeat after getting good results against Switzerland against Costa Rica rather than falling in the last minute against Switzerland here they've got them in the very first match and Switzerland will be hoping to start their World Cup on a similar footing and uh, get a decent enough result against a Cameroon team who are somewhat of an unknown quantity we would have watched them in AFCON in the uh, well, nine, eight, nine months ago now, they were somewhat disappointing. They started off incredibly well, um, but as the, the level of opposition got better, they kind of floundered and um, they'll be wholly reliant on a, um, a couple of new signings and you've got the likes of Cal Toko, Kambi, Vincent, Vincent Abubakar and Eric Maxim Chupamoting. And if all three start, well, in transition, they could be quite dangerous for a, for a Switzerland team who will be a bit more attacking a bit more on the front foot than we have uh, than we have seen in the past four or five tournaments where they've never really failed to get out of the groups they've not failed to get out of a group stage in uh, a decade now so the history points towards Switzerland getting out of this group but Cameroon could cause problems Serbia player for play you'd probably say have the uh, the better team than Switzerland, but the actual team spirit and organisation has always been Switzerland's forte in that one. Two strong European sides, a, an African team who could cause problems, and the favourites, Group G, is all lined up to be an absolute pearler. Meanwhile, Group H is the is pretty much the group of revenge. We've got Uruguay and South Korea. Uruguay, who eliminated South Korea in the 2010 World Cup. We've got Portugal and Ghana. Ghana, who will be f still feeling the uh, the pinch from that 2010 World Cup quarterfinal, and rightly so. Luis Suarez is still in the squad after all. Um, but first, it is Portugal versus Ghana, Uruguay versus South Korea, and it's a race against time, really, to see how Song Hyung Min will, uh, will recover from that fractured eye socket. And you've got to say... Whilst he's not their only hope, South Korea, he's, he's, he's of course the poster boy. And against a Uruguayan team which will spoil, which will be, well, they'll be 
have enough attacking prowess with uh, Fede Valverde out wide. You may suspect he might play out wide. Darwin Nunez running the channels, Luis Suarez, Edinson Cavani, of course, all the household names that we come to expect. But this is a this is a Uruguayan team who will be defensively organised, as you would expect from a, a centre-back partnership of uh, Diego Godin and uh, and Jose Maria Jimenez with Ronaldo Ruyo on the side there. And um, again, Rodrigo Bentancor will be a fulcrum in midfield alongside Vecino as well. And Uruguay, I've tipped them to win this group. Um, hoping they'll get off to a um, very good start. They, they, what I would call the South American Danes, but with the added spice of World Cup history, they'll be hoping not to be as uh, profligate as the Danish team were uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, meanwhile, Portugal, obviously the circus that surrounded them has been Cristiano Ronaldo with the news that he is to to leave Manchester United and perhaps a domino in the fact that Glazers are about to sell up at Old Trafford, but um, that's by the by. Let's talk about the World Cup. Ghana are a bit of an unknown because, like Cameroon, they've made a couple of signs, probably a bit more. Um, gone undergone a bit of a structural change. Otto Addo is the interim manager. Chris Hutton is a technical director as well of uh, Brighton and Newcastle fame. And it's just all about whether those quote-unquote signings come good, whether Tariq Lamptey shows the form that he has done for Brighton over the past few years, whether Inaki Williams can find the goal-scoring form that he so often has for Athletic Club in La Liga. And uh, maybe the incentive is there for Ghana, perhaps Inaki, um, to uh, race Ghana into the quarterfinals, just like 2010, where he could meet his brother in the Spanish team, Nico Williams. Uh, Nico Williams, yes. He is another Nico Williams at this World Cup. Portugal, well, they are often tipped to go far. They usually have the bigger squads, but in recent times, two last 16 exits since the European Championships, you, well, this game is all about avoiding Brazil, really, in the last 16, and... Given the lowest-ranked team to start off with, that's a perfect springboard to go on to um, bigger and better things and potentially trouble Uruguay for that top spot. I'm not entirely convinced there are question marks over whether Cristiano Ronaldo should start. I've got no doubt in my mind that he will and probably score a couple of goals to rub the uh, the faces in it. Of course, Lionel Messi equaled his World Cup goal scoring tally, 7-7 it is now. So he'll want to get a, um, a response in there and what better way than to score a couple of goals against Ghana. It will be by no means a an easier task. We have seen that the uh, North African teams in this tournament so far have performed better than the uh, the sub-Saharan team in uh, in Senegal but then again Senegal were facing the might of the Netherlands regardless doesn't take away from Tunisia and Morocco's great draws against uh, Croatia and Denmark but they'll be hoping that uh, Ghana could spring a surprise I mean it's not out of the ordinary Group H I see is kind of similar to Group F in terms of it could go either way. With uh, It only takes a little nudge to make this group um, unpredictable, really. South Korea have got um, some very good, very good names in uh, Hwang Hee Chan, Hwang Hyu Jo, and, uh, of course, Song Hyung Min. Kim Min Jae at the back as well is definitely one to, uh, to look out for. Maybe a good battle between him and Luis Suarez today as well. And, um, yes, that is all we've got time for on day four of the 2022 World Cup. We will be back bright and breezy tomorrow to take a look at all four of those games where we end the first match day of the 2022 World Cup. And of course, we'll we'll cast a little eye over to Friday's games where the second match day will ensue from Wales at 10am to England at 7am. Up the three Lions. Silly tomorrow. Podcast Network. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry 
as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done.